broadcasting on all emergency frequencies. My location is System Hotel, India Papa 25490, near orbit of Planet A2. My canopy's blown, my thrusters are offline, my frame shift drive is toast. I've got seven minutes of oxygen left. In a world where no one is listening. Hello? Can anyone hear me? The deep black gets pretty lonely. I repeat, this is Control. We read you. Coming this winter. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Guard frequency. Origins. Listen as the story of guard frequency is told from the beginning. Action. Watch it. You've got one on your tail. I see him. I see him. Adventure. You've never really faced death, have you? I haven't faced death. I've cheated death. I've tricked my way out of death and patted myself on the back for my ingenuity. Danger. I have a very bad feeling about this. Suspense. Everything was left on. Ship powered down on its own. No sign of a struggle. They're just gone. Dramatic tension. We're all friendlies here. Let's just be friendly. Safety warnings. If you can't take a bloody nose, maybe you ought to go back home and crawl under your bed. It's not safe out here. Fine, but next time just remember to close the equipment locker, all right? It's right at head level. And idle threats. I don't believe there's a power in the verse that can stop Red from being cheerful. Yeah, I know. Sometimes you just want to duct tape his mouth and dump him in a hole for a month. Starring Justin as Red Barnes, the bio-waste hauler with an itchy trigger finger. Time to take out the trash. Brian as Roland Morgan, the mysterious freighter pilot with a mysterious past. <laughs> Look, I, I'm just trying to make a little money here. Not have my picture on every station from here to uh, Beagle Point. Henry as Ale, the engineer who can repair literally anything. What do you mean it's not broke? I can still fix it. And Lennon as Quinn Harper, the ruined asteroid miner, rebuilding his future. I am not going to lose anyone else. Do you hear me? From the creative minds behind Guard Frequency and Priority One Podcasts comes... Stay on the guard. Stay on the guard. Stay on the guard. Stay on the guard. I'm still here. Probably around Lagrange Point 4. Guard Frequency. Origins. Sits and Tooths, Captains and Commanders, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 190 of the best damn space sim podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, October 20th, and made available for download Tuesday, October 24th, over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Ken Shadow. I'm Ostron. And I'm Jeff, and in the audio booth this week is Henry. So what do we have in store this week, Jeff? In this week's Squawk Box, we get kilos of new discoveries to talk about. Next, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover new information about 3.0 bugs and the ship stats in Star Citizen, brand new toys for Thargoid Hunters and Elite Dangerous, and some extra special news about the best damn space sim ever, Guard Frequency. Finally, we turn into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Switch to normal. Cryptor, 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 this is Jeff Saines. Welcome to the squawk box, everyone. On August 17th, the scientific community, or at least the parts of it that spent a lot of time looking into space was a buzz when detectors around the world lit up with news that something big had happened. One such detector is called LIGO. It detects gravitational waves. When two black holes collide with each other, detector produces a blip that lasts for a fraction of a second. This event caused a blip that lasted for 100 seconds. 
What happened is referred to as a kilonova, and this is the first one we've detected. Since prefixes get confusing, and this one is in metric, so that's even worse, we'll describe the difference here. Supernovas, when a star collapses and explodes, are a big deal and tend to be very bright. We'll quote a bit from Randall Moreau, author of the webcomic XKCD. However big you think supernovae are, they're bigger than that. Here's the question to give you a sense of scale. Which of the following would be brighter in terms of the amount of energy delivered to your retina? 1. A supernova, seen from as far away as the sun is from Earth, or 2. The detonation of a hydrogen bomb pressed against your eyeball. Applying the physicist's rule of thumb suggests that a supernova is brighter, and indeed it is, by nine orders of magnitude. End quote. Keep that in mind for this next part. A kilonova is what you get when two neutron stars are orbiting each other in a decaying orbit. The extreme gravity and centrifugal acceleration get them going up to near the speed of light, and then they smash into each other. The resulting explosion is 1,000 times brighter than a typical supernova. This one was 130 million light years away and could still be seen with Earth-based telescopes if you happen to be looking in that right part of the sky. It also spews out a ton of radiation in every part of the visible spectrum and, more importantly, for scientists, gravitational waves. The LIGO detector we mentioned earlier detects those waves. But, until this kilonova, the waves are still largely theoretical. It takes something extreme to produce waves that we can detect with modern science, and most of those events include black hole collisions. By definition, you can't see those, so there's no way to independently confirm that's producing the waves. The kilonova, on the other hand, definitely produce enough light for people to see it. Scientists are still speculating about what kind of things will result from this. Technically, there are months of analysis and verification to be done before any theories or discoveries can be confirmed. But the prospect of nailing down the two big ones, kilonovas and gravitational waves, already have people excited, like two neutrons uh, running around each other. Anyway. That's really cool, man. It's like a follow-up on the gravitational waves discovery, but it's not really a new thing, right? Because they've, they've already discovered the gravitational waves. The big point here is that it's bigger, right? Yeah, the key here is both that the gravitational waves from this were a lot bigger, and it could be verified by observational things that weren't the gravitational wave detectors. Because the big problem up to now is they, the people with the gravitational wave detectors would go, hey, we detected some gravitational waves, and other people would be going, okay, what were they from? And the gravity people would go, well, it was this, it was probably this black hole collision out in some way distant part of the galaxy. And people go, okay, well, that was quick and nobody can see that because the black holes don't produce, you know, visible light. So that's going to be hard to independently confirm. But this threw out massive amounts of gravity waves and also everybody could see it if you were looking in the right part of the sky and the light from it lasted for like a day. So yeah, it's it's basically the first time they've been able to get independent verification from a different scientific recording instrument that backs up the fact that there were gravitational waves. So I assume these gravitational waves must travel at the speed of light. If we're just seeing the light from the supernova now and we're able to detect the gravitational waves, they must be traveling at the same speed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, gravity travels at the speed of light. It's funny that that seems like a matter-of-fact thing to say, but they must have just discovered this. No. Like, that we, has we, to be new knowledge. Well, they just the, proved it, yeah. Yeah, that, that was theorized a long time ago with the theory of relativity, I believe. Yeah, it was, it was funny because in the article, this discovery about gravitational waves seems to confirm another theory that Einstein came up with, and they commented that... We never really thought he was wrong, but it's always nice to see him actually proved right again. The prospect of two neutron stars running into each other at near the speed of light is somewhat mind-boggling. Yeah, the, the, that uh, I wonder how big those two neutron stars were. They were about neutron star-sized. <laughs> well, yeah, but those can be like city-sized or 
uh, smaller, right? Like, those are very small. I think the theory is they'd have to have been near the same size, whatever size they were. Oh, right. In order to, in order to have the centrifugal, the, in order to be counter-rotating, in order to be rotating against each other like that, right? They would have to have it. In order for them to get enough acceleration going, they would have, they, one, if one was bigger, it probably wouldn't, it would probably suck up the other one before. Right. It would, one would just orbit the other and you wouldn't have the same amount of speed when they finally collided. This whole this whole thing with the uh, astronomical event is very cool, but uh, I have yet to see anything that was okay. Be, if we know this is true, then it makes something else po- more possible, right? It's all like okay, we we confirm something that we kind of already were assuming anyway. Yeah, the whole thing with gravity waves is the the theory they're working off of is every other force or every other energy in the universe that we know about has some sort of fundamental particle associated with it like light has photons electricity has electrons and a few other things it gets more complicated sorry physicists the problem is gravity as far as anyone can tell just works and nobody can prove that there's any traceable energy particles associated with it They've theorized about the presence of what is are called gravitons, but nobody can prove they exist or how they behave. But this, so all of this research into gravitational waves is working toward that. And if you can both identify and then manipulate gravitons, then you start to get stuff being possible like tractor beams and artificial gravity. And a whole bunch of really neat stuff, like the whole, like, gravity drives that basically, like, increase or modify gravity of objects in order to draw or push items away. So the problem is, is that the leap from where we are to being able to do that is so huge and we are so far away that nobody really brings that up because it would just create a whole bunch of excitement that would then die when the scientists have to admit, yeah, all of that's theoretically possible, but we have absolutely no clue about how to get there. That's true, but if you look back at just, uh, imagine in like 1850s, somebody saying, well, we're gonna walk on the moon, and they'd say, yeah, but how would we get there? It's so far off, it's not really worth thinking about right now, is it? We just invented barbed wire, you know? So it's really far off is a relative term and we live in a place where it gets faster and faster every day so who knows red seen or heard something that you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com but for now let's see what news has hit the flight deck 3175 port bay hands on approach trigger screen call the ball don't get technical with me According to the burndown segment of Around the Verse, released on the 19th, SIG has 25 remaining issues standing between them and the next release of 3.0 material to the Evocati. For those keeping track, yes, that is two more than last week, as both the devs and devoted backers have pointed out numerous times, testing begets bugs, and fixing bugs usually creates more bugs as well. Backers interested in the details should check out ATV for the full report. While the developers are chugging away at 3.0, CIG has been releasing a lot of information on ship classifications and demographics ahead of the release of their new ship comparison matrix. Longtime listeners will recall that the last several monthly reports and development updates have discussed a, quote, totally revamped ship information matrix coming soon, trademark. In addition, nearly all of the concept ship QAs for the past six months have responded to questions about ship statistics by saying that the information is misleading or outright wrong because of the legacy information screens. It seems we're finally getting an update, but before that, CIG is spending a lot of characters trying to manage miss and preconceptions. Several of the issues will be familiar to longtime backers. For example, the issue of how and why maximum velocity is limited in a frictionless vacuum is discussed, which was an issue originally addressed something on the order of three years ago. Based on information released so far, there are 10 deep dive documents coming ahead of the new information matrix release. There were only three released in time for the Badgers to give us a report, 
and we'll follow up with the others as they come out. For now, the documents have covered ship careers and roles, technical information, and mass calculation. We'll touch briefly on each one. The document discussing ship masses is one of those things where it's probably more complex than it sounds in the document. They spent a lot of time describing how the estimates they had for ships' masses were completely wrong once they actually built the ships out and then recalculated it. On the face of it, their method seems like a no-brainer. Take the mass of a ship, assuming it's a solid block, then subtract the parts that are hollow. However, when you consider that they're doing this for irregularly shaped objects made of materials that don't actually exist, we can see why it would have been tough. It just doesn't translate well to text. The gameplay point of the article is that mass will affect ship's performance, though they admitted that the mechanic isn't fully implemented, even in 3.0. The other two documents have a bit more juice to them. In the new Matrix, all of the ships will have a career role. CIG is currently splitting careers into six major groups. Combat, Transport, Industrial, Exploration, Support, and Competition. Each major group has up to four subcategories at the moment, though there is a disclaimer that the list is partial. The article itself also has a brief description of what their thinking was in defining each major category. For example, industrial is where they stuck things like mining and salvage, whereas support is more for medical and repair efforts. In an obvious attempt to stave off hordes of angry backers, they stress that the assigned roles are not limitations nor permanent assignments. The ships are assigned to roles based on their base equipment and loadout. Depending on how customizable the ship is, or how stubborn the pilot is, it is perfectly possible to do missions outside the ship's assigned career profile. They also omitted that some ships don't really fit into a single category and therefore don't have a role defined. The third article has a lot more useful information in terms of game mechanics. The ship technical info. First on the list is a breakdown of what criteria make up the different ship classes, like snub, medium, and capital ships. Cargo is something that has been covered a lot by SIG, but here they clarify that the cargo rating of a ship is defined as how many SCU can be attached to designated racks in the ships. However, they say that it is perfectly possible to turn your ship into a hoarder's paradise and stuff the rooms, hallways, and empty seats with more cargo. Just don't complain when it flies around during a barrel roll. Given a fair amount of space was a piece of information backers have been asking about for years, a minimum crew value for all the ships. For those who weren't aware, up to now the larger ships only had a maximum crew value, with no indication whether you could fly the ship 100% solo, or if you had to find some NPC crew at a minimum. CIG explains their formula for how they calculated the minimum crew. We'll read it here. The number of operator seats in a ship, those seats that are control specific functions such as flight, feature critical stations like salvage or mining, or drone control systems that are used to operate other primary features. Number of turrets divided by two rounded down. This provides the ship with a limited set of defense capability with minimum crew rather than leaving it entirely undefended. They stress that every ship can technically be flown by one person, but you will not be impressing anyone if you're supposed to have 14 other people with you. The maximum crew value is also broken down a bit, specifying that it doesn't include passenger space and is based more on the ship's life support and sleeping capabilities. You can physically fit a lot more people in some of the ships, but the ship's mass will be thrown off and you may only have 15 minutes of air. The next information article is supposed to deal with how thruster information is displayed, and more articles on things like weapon and ordnance hardpoints are coming soon. Those interested in the details should check out the documents on SIG's website. I was particularly interested in the stuff that they're including for technical info. A lot of that stuff has been sorely missing in the previous iterations. Is anyone else heartened by this at all? I mean, it seems like the more information we're getting out, the the closer and closer the game seems to be a reality instead of just a, a dream. Now, you know, I, some of these things are, are really, really good for some of my confidence level. So the fact that they address that you can actually fly any ship by yourself, I think, is, is, a, is a big thing. Uh, there were long, long arguments in the forums for threats where people absolutely insisted that you should not even be able to fly some of these capital ships unless you have 10 other people with you. You can't even get out of the dock or something like that. And I thought that was stupid. It's like, what do I do if I go out and everybody else logs off? Do I just leave my ship out there and wait? Hopefully nobody will steal it while, while it takes me to time out. 
Now you want to be able to at least pilot it back to dock, right? Well, and I and I agree with that assessment. I mean, it, it seems absolutely un why we can't have automated systems that can take over basic duties of a station uh, to allow a pilot to fly by themselves in some situations like going from space dock to your port yeah. to, to believe that you need to have a group of friends online to fly these things is was just i just i couldn't it was mind-blowing Right, and it'll be a lot more informational when they start telling you how what what roles NPCs can and cannot fill. Like you're supposed to be able to get NPCs that fill most roles, like you stick one in a turret and things like that. But what what roles are are not NPC fillable? I think that's really what I want to know with regards to this whole soloing aspect. But um, I, I imagine it would be a lot of well, I was gonna say it would be a lot of the skill based stuff like the repair. And like the medical gameplay, well, but re- re- I, even then, I'm not sure now. Repair, you think you could automate, as well as, well as like shield management and stuff like that. CIC, probably not, right? Piloting, no, no, I was talking. Uh, sorry, I, I should clarify. I was talking about the stuff they debuted, where they were talking about how like the Redeemer repairs other ships, not repairing your own ship I see. from inside. Well, I, I was just happy to see that they really thought about guard frequency when they were talking about uh, support. But. Yep, medical and rescue yeah. were in there. And it looks like, at least for industrial and support, I think there are a lot of other subcategories that they haven't listed. Um, I found it interesting that competition is in there when the only really subcategory is racing. Because I can't figure out what else would be in there. Well, I can see endurance. I can... I, I may not be interested in the speed racing, but I would be interested in endurance race if you're going to a harsh planet or something and they have this competition for endurance, uh, you know, with ship uh, ship and crew kind of stuff. I think that would be that would be fun. I think that would be really, really fun. They should just call the category racing. They have other competitions like fighting, but that's another class. <laughs> they have endurance ships. They're called explorer ships, right? And they have like the largest amount of fuel and stuff like that on them. So it all depends on what you what you mean by endurance there, Jeff, as to how well, long you go. So, something like they do down in uh, Baja, you know, um, uh, whether it's a time race or endurance, a 24 hours at Le Mans or... You know, something that other than just the speed racing category, I, I would um, be interested yeah, where the, in that. Yeah, the point is more that you're doing it for an extended period of time or in harsh environments than it's like you have to be really good at flying. But that would be just a different uh, kind of racing, though, right? No, it's still, yeah, it's still racing, which goes back to the whole why is, why is it a competition category when there's, yeah, the others are sort of covered. Maybe they have some... Another new idea that they haven't told anyone about as far as expanding that category, but... Yeah, that would be... um, I I was just going to ask, the new Matrix that's coming out, they're talking about releasing different information about the ships, but this isn't really going to change the dynamics of ships that have been bought, right? Well, it depends on how far back you're looking, because there are some people, and they address this in one of the Q&As, who have ships that have been reclassified from what they originally were. Kin Shadow, maybe you can help me out here because I don't Cutlass, recall. The Cutlass has bounced around roles for a number of times, yeah, and it's coming that's, again with that's the new one. 3.0 Cutlass. Yeah, um, so I mean, the Cutlass is the most obvious example because when it was first put out, it was supposed it was sort of advertised as the, it's like the pirate's major fighter. So it was, in, in most people's minds, it was the the direct analog to the Super Hornet, which is arguably the most competitive fighter for the, quote, lawful side. Now that it's actually come out, the Cutlass is nowhere near as maneuverable. It has a lot more room to it. It's arguably a multi-crew ship. Uh, like, it has space for many more actual crew members than the Super Hornet does. So it's just, it's not even close to being a comparable ship to the Super Hornet, which is still a medium-heavy dogfighter. So the people who bought a Cutlass way back when at the beginning of the campaign, it could be argued, do not have the ship that they bought. 
Right. It's got a completely different role than what they did now. That's also sort of happened for some other ships. I disagree. I disagree with that because the Cutlass was marketed with three different variants. It was it was a, a military police variant, not originally medical. Yeah, not not way back when it first started. The, the Kickstarter had described the Cutlass as a. Uh, the mo- basically the most maneuverable fighter in the game, and you could also have some cargo. And yeah, but they had, they also addressed that uh, as they were bringing bringing those ships uh, online because you know it was, uh, it was a horrible description. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah they that was addressed a long time ago. Yeah, it's it's old news, but there are some other. I mean, the thing is, is when they finally put the ships in these specific categories, it's very possible that some of them might not be in the spots people thought they were going to be. Like, right. Well, I mean, they, well, they, 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 they've changed the description. All right, so Cutlass was originally a super agile fighter that also had cargo, right? And then uh, when, they, when they decided to actually put it in game, they decided to instead kind of reclassify it as a glass cannon, right? So it was still maneuverable-ish, right? And they tried to make it competitive in fighting, but it always just felt horrible. And the problem was it was like, it was way too big. It was. It had no hit points, and it was huge. And they're like, okay, well, let's reclassify it again, and let's reclassify it again. And there's a new one coming out, but it's much more tanky, and they've made a new pirate fighter and everything. So it's very different. Another another example in, in this pirate vein is the Caterpillar. The original description of the Caterpillar was a the, the freelancer's evil twin. If you look at the Caterpillar today... There's no way to compare it to the Freelancer. It doesn't. It doesn't do the same thing. It doesn't. And also, there's no. There's no boarding possibilities anymore with uh, the Caterpillar. Maybe you load some dragonflies in it, but it's not this like uh, run up to the the other ship and, and and breach the other ship like it was originally pitched either. So a lot yeah, of these like ships. The, free, the Freelancer is a small cargo hauler. The Caterpillar is basically a capital ship at this point. Well, I get what big. you guys are saying, but what I'm saying is that here you've cited a few examples of how things have changed from what was uh, purchased. And what I'm saying is now by changing the matrix, they're not really changing the ships. They're just changing the information that you have about them. And they're doing it en masse to all of them. So they're like preparing themselves or setting themselves up to have a whole lot of people say, wait, I didn't think this ship was that. But to be doing it for like almost every ship all at once because they're changing the whole matrix. You're going to get information you didn't know about these ships before. So it may or may not be one that you wanted. So I think right. it's dangerous for them, they're, it seems like. Well, their default response is that you can get another yeah. ship if you want. <laughs> That's they, right. They allow you to melt in CCU and everything. And so if you really don't like the ship you want, then you spend a couple of bucks more. You can always spend more money, ship. sure. This is <laughs> and, 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 remember, and remember that this is a campaign to raise money for the game development. This is, I mean, if you want another ship in game, you just earn it. You can buy it. You can buy any ship you want in the game. I mean, I, I think all this argument about this stuff is just pointless. Jeff, we're, we're just all nerds. We like arguing <laughs> about everything. Pointless or not, that's our job. Yeah. That's what we're here for. We love that, right? I like the thing about cargo where you can shove it anywhere. I mean, they've said this before, but it's always been kind of, you know, tongue in cheek. And the fact that the, this is actually part of the initial design. You know, if I want to take my Idris out and not put any damn fighters in it, just load that runway down with with SCUs, which is standard cargo ro- units, as uh, Ken from Chicago points out in chat, in case anybody doesn't know what that acronym is. Um, if I want to load that down with cargo, then uh, I apparently am free to do so, uh, just as long as I don't have any anybody down there when I when I go to Quantum Drive and it flies yeah, that's around. That's awesome, as long as you don't lose it. Also, none of the cargo can be fragile. Because it's all going to be plastered against the back wall. And also remember to load your cargo evenly, because if you put more on the starboard side than the port side, you might have a little problem in takeoff. Yeah. And that's really what I think the major thing about these articles and the new Matrix is, is that we're getting, as Kinshadow and Henry pointed out, we're getting a lot of information about these ships that we haven't had before, and it's more definitive than it's been before like the confirmation that you can stick cargo anywhere the fact that there are minimum crew recommendations but the acknowledgement that you can at the very least get a ship off a dock and in forward motion with only one person i think the counter argument that people are going to bring up if they're bitter about this whole thing is that 
arguably CIG had this information for a lot of these ships for months, particularly while they were on sale and it wasn't available. Now, whether you believe that was an oversight, it was bad bureaucracy, or if it was malicious, or if they didn't actually have all that information is sort of a personal taste thing, and you're going to have to work out the feelings on that your own self. So I, I can see where they don't have SCU information. I mean, because they're actually calculating that from the models, and you actually have to do a bunch of handwork in order to get it, because they not only have to and do this model calculations, you also have to figure out where all of the pads are and how many pads you can put in there. Maybe that's something they don't, they don't have figured out in concept. But you're right, Ostron. Like, some of these things that, that they talk about, the, the crew numbers, they've probably figured this out um, a long time ago. And you know, these things shouldn't, they should have been updated regularly in the ship matrix rather than having this big burst of updates. Our Star Citizen Community Question Night. Is the new information about the ships helpful and informative? Or is it all coming much too late to matter to you? We here at Guard Frequency would love to hear from you. We'll tell you how to contact us after feedback. Another week, another Thargoid gadget. This time, a defensive module. The Field Neutralizer was unlocked by reaching Tier 2 of the Aegis Community Goal last week. So now, with a little situational awareness and a bit of good timing, those nasty Thargoid EMPs are nothing but a happy memory. Now for the in-depth analysis of the new goodie. On the pro side, YouTube evidence collected by our research badgers indicate that multiple ships can be covered by an anti-EMP pulse put out by the device. This means that as long as you snuggle up tight against your wingman, only one ship needs to carry and activate the defense to protect several ships. This would even permit ships to defend against EMP strikes from multiple Thargoids, presuming that all humans are within three kilometers. Mechanically, it works like a traditional EMC module. Hold the trigger to charge and increase the radius of effect. Then release the trigger to, um, trigger the pulse. On the con side, timing is critical. So you have to be facing the Thargoid to know when to charge and release the pulse. A passive defense would have been nice. What with all the other tricks the Thargoid ships have to offer? Also, they're a little trickier to procure. Our research badgers believe that the lower the tier hit during the community goal, the less wildly the modules will be sold. And finally, the slow trickle of gear coming from the Aegis group might fit nicely into the iterative release of 2.4 concept, but it's not exactly the sort of enthralling narrative some commanders had hoped for. Where are my red Thargoids? Where is my Type 10 Defender? When is somebody going to lose a space station? In other lore news, Drew Wagar, author of Harry Potter and the Salami of Secret... No, wait, sorry, that was our show title. Author of Elite Reclamation and Elite Premonition has sort of retired from Elite. He's handed custody of his Elite lore blog posts over to the Canon Group and has removed his fanfiction Elite Saga from his website. He will be focusing his efforts on another long-lost computer game title from the 80s called Lords of Midnight. In the meantime, he encourages players to check out the lore section of the new role-playing game Elite Encounters, which is the second Frontier-licensed RPG. We wish Mr. Wegar fair winds and following seas on his new voyage and hope he visits the bubble from time to time, and doesn't get shot out of the sky when he does. Again. Oh, I didn't know there were two different Elite RPGs, huh? Yes, this one was part of the Kickstarter where somebody paid the correct amount of money and unlocked the ability to write a, an official book. Wagar was one of them, uh, and he wrote Elite Reclamation. And the Daftworks is the company, I don't know the guys, I remember the guy's name, but he also paid in and he wrote a RPG book. And then another company, uh, Spidermind, actually beat... Daftworks to publication by about a month or two, and that's the Elite Dangerous RPG. So there's Elite Encounters and the Elite Dangerous RPG, both on sale and both officially licensed by, by Frontier. So the first one, somebody paid for the right to make it? Somebody paid for that in part of the Kickstarter? Yeah, he, like, he contributed at the proper level, and in return, part of his prize package was a license to write an official lore-friendly, uh, uh, you know, official canon uh, I would think uh, that he would be, I, I guess if he won the right to write a book, not an RPG game, he wouldn't really have 
a problem with Elite licensing that same thing to somebody else. I mean, they, they literally licensed someone else to make an RPG game. That just strikes me as funny if they sold that. Well, in, depending in on, I mean, depending on what they actually licensed, it may not have been a case of competition that they knew about. Because if somebody was just like, "Hey, can I have a license to write official elite material as fiction?" and they didn't specify that it was going to be an yeah, RPG, that's kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, Tony, you'd have to tell me if I'm up the wrong creek here. But no, um, you're you're in the right you're on the right direction. The difference is whether or not, uh, as part of the Kickstarter, he got an exclusive license to write an RPG, and he probably it just did seems not. like it's less valuable without that. Well, I mean, people who are doing the Kickstarter were doing it for the love of the game, so on and so forth. And you know, as we always say about the crowdfunding stuff on uh, on the Star Citizen side, it was money to make the game go. Yeah. So you weren't writing it with the expectation that you were going to receive tons of royalties and become, you know, the next uh, you know Bill Gates or whatever off the royalties from from this book. The idea was you'd get to monkey around in a universe you like to play in and it would be quote real you know it would be yeah, official that's cool. that makes um, sense yeah so i mean and so frontier clearly doesn't mind you know getting a royalty from the guy selling the book and i'm sure the guy would be just thrilled to pieces uh, if hundreds of elite dangerous players picked up this book that he kind of paid for the license to get through the kickstarter again with the whole crowdfunding pledge versus paid for versus what do you get versus contract versus whatever. You know, I think everyone's going along to get along. No one is really stepping on people's toes. And I haven't looked at Elite Encounters yet, but from what I understand, it's a lot more lore heavy where the Elite Dangerous RPG is a little more familiar to people that are into like the nuts and bolts dice rolling. That's my understanding. I haven't looked at Elite Encounters yet, but I plan to. So, But, I mean, it's two different kinds of books. Yeah, and based on what I know of tabletop RPGs, those are very different gameplay experiences between a lore-heavy RPG versus a, like, combat mechanics dice rolling right. RPG. When we say lore-heavy, do we mean, like, primarily theater of the mind, or what do you mean by lore-heavy yeah, RPG? Yeah. It, it, bas- it basically, like, have you played Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, and I apologize for the listeners who haven't, because this isn't going to be extremely helpful, but Dungeons & Dragons, in a lot of cases, is played very combat mechanics-heavy. There's a fight or two in most sessions, and there's lots of die-rolling. A lore-based RPG can have a lot of die rolling, but the die rolling is going to be used to determine more psychological and interpersonal reactions than it is to determine, like, physical activity. So, for example, you would do a number of die rolls to determine if you get massively scared or if you have some sort of a nervous breakdown or if you are able to detect that some person is lying when they're talking to you and the types of things that you can roll for would reflect that so there'd be a whole list of skills to use in terms of conversing with someone like lying or seducing or um, just influencing would all be separate skills whereas if you go back to a more combat heavy system like D&D all of that would be contained in just one skill, and that's one role that you make regardless of what you're trying to do. And my suspicion, right. yeah, again, my unconfirmed suspicion is that those dice rolls and those characteristics you've been describing will depend heavily on your character generation choices. Are you from the Empire? Are you rich? Are you from the Alliance? Uh, you know, did you do you have the right accent? Do you know the, 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 the local lingo of that particular starport? Do you know the history and can answer these questions correctly, or are you out of place? The, the elite world is, is, is a, it, can, it can be, on a certain level, very homogenous, and a lot of people that play the game complain that it's all the same everywhere you go. But uh, if you dig under a little bit and add a layer of lore to it, there's a lot of history. Uh, you know, there's a thousand years of history that influences people's decisions based on geographically where you are in the galaxy. So... It's an opportunity to make that complicated. I, again, I haven't read the book, but I anticipate that that's going to be the cool. case. Question about the novels. Elite Reclamation and Elite Premonition, is that... Do the two books make up a completed story arc? Like, he's not yeah. leaving anything 
Oh, hanging yeah. or anything. Or, okay. Salome is dead. D.E.D. dead. Yeah, I just didn't know if there was, you know, further unanswered questions that were teased in a possible sequel that now aren't going to be. No, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, yes, I'm going to say yes, but those open questions are probably going to be answered through the narrative that will be revealed in the game. Speaking of narrative revealed in the game, though, the 2.4 release... Uh, do you think the reveal that we're getting, this narrative that's supposed to unfold, is just these weapons of the week? Or do you think we're going to get more than that? God, I, I hope, hope not, too. That was a question I mean, I mean, we asked uh, in our report. Yeah. And it seems like that would be yeah. silly. But we have kind of been like waiting for big reveals from uh, Elite before and had a single crashed alien ship for like a year. Right. And, and part of the problem is that they are waiting for commanders to discover these things. One of the things we didn't write in this week's report is that more of those INRA sites have been discovered, but it's like, thanks for the extra confirmation, it's telling us more of the things that we already know. You know, it's moving the story along forward, I guess, but it's not a new reveal. You know, it's not, it's just, it's just further confirming the things that we've already sort of, it's already been revealed to us. The arrival of the, of the, of the other Thargoid faction would be an, a big event. You know, the, the shoot first, ask questions later Thargoids, that would be cool, but, we either haven't triggered it yet or they haven't turned the switch on in the server side or whatever. Uh, maybe we're supposed to, maybe someone needs to unlock a permit from a faction to visit a system to trigger the event. I mean, we don't know. We, they, they've, they've hidden it behind game mechanics that are not immediately and obviously apparent. And Wegar had to uh, go and leave clues for some of his stuff that he wanted to, you know, to, to happen in the game. He had to, like, he had to intervene to get the player base to go do stuff. So it's a little different than sort of maybe some expectations of some players, myself included, of how they're going to roll the narrative forward. And well, it seems a little clunky at times. This week's Elite Community Question. Still enjoying that gadget of the week? Have enough room in your storage for all the new toys? Tell us what you think. Contact details are coming up. All right, well, we promised you some news on the uh, the best damn space sim ever, which, is, of course, is Guard Frequency. Uh, not just the best damn space sim podcast ever, but, you know, we love, we've always loved the games that we've built or wanted to build or been building. Uh, so I want to set the Wayback Machine for you guys back to October 23rd, 2015, almost precisely two years ago today. Longtime listeners will recall that we were waiting for the 2.0 release of the PTU, the controversy surrounding Mr. Smart was only a few weeks old, and we were still singing Bug Smashers off-key during the News We Didn't Use segment. And in that episode, numbered four score and 14, you would have heard me say this. So, since we here at Guard Frequency are all about solutions, here's ours. We're going to expand our scope. Each week, we sign off asking you folks if you want to help us make the best damned space sim podcast ever. Obviously, this is a play on Chris Roberts' nickname for Star Citizen. But no matter what happens to that game, its visibility has brought back the space sim. And there's a whole galaxy of games out there that need someone to keep an ear out for their news. And that's the plan. Starting with episode 101, Guard Frequency is going to truly become the best damned space sim podcast ever by covering all the space sims out there, including Star Citizen. Our plan right now is to cover as many games as we can in writing on our site and include the most interesting two or three stories each week in the show. Everything else from squawk to feedback will stay more or less the same. Nuggets might be a bit tricky, but we'll wing it. It'll be okay. For everyone who's backed us on Patreon, thank you so much for all the support you've given us. It really is a tangible way for you to tell us we're doing something right. We hope that we're entertaining enough that broadening our horizons excites you as much as it excites us, but we'll understand if you want to cancel your pledge. We're giving you plenty of time to do so before the format change in December. If you have any concerns, please let us know via that Patreon messaging system. We hope you all, patron or not, we hope you all stay tuned. Because if no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. And here we are, almost exactly 100 episodes and two years later. We are waiting for the 3.0 release of the PTU, and the controversy surrounding Mr. Smart is now old enough to walk and eat solid food, and Bug Smashers has spun off a combo reality TV show and random number generator. And all the issues that we were discussing then are still at the forefront. Feature creep, missed deadlines, transparency issues. Oh, and recently we added international corporate shell games and financial maneuvers to the list. Not my definition of progress. We started this podcast to cover one game, with the idea that we'd start our coverage concurrent with the release of a playable dogfighting module in December of 2013. 
Our original vision was that we'd be an in-universe rescue ops crew, and we'd use the show to make online social and in-fiction connections to players and fans. It didn't exactly work out. Uh, here's a snippet from our very first show. Another hangar patch is scheduled before the year's end, however, that does inevitably mean one thing. Yes, unfortunately, the dogfighting alpha has been pushed back to early New Year. We rolled with it and had a great time doing it. We went to Plan B and made a show about the creation of a game that we would actually rather be playing, and that worked for a while. Two years later, we looked around at the world of potential Star Citizen had enabled and thought, we sort of pigeonholed ourselves with Plan B. We should be talking about all of this. So we made that adjustment, went to Plan C. Two years after that, and four years now after our debut, the game that inspired it all is still not a reality. And to be brutally frank, I'm not convinced it ever will be, at least not within a reasonable time frame. Now, I don't pretend to speak for everybody here at the show, and I hope I never came across that way. But I'm pretty confident that I can say that everyone here at The Guard hopes that a fully-fledged, persistent online universe and a triple-A successor to Wing Commander both eventually see the light of day from CIG. But what was once a merely difficult task two years ago, namely constant coverage of Star Citizen's development, has now become nearly impossible. Hey, I would love to be wrong, and we will certainly revisit the show's format again if the situation changes. And Star Citizen's failure to launch, I think, has had kind of a knock-on effect. I think that this uncertainty has contributed to an atmosphere of changed expectations in crowdfunding games in general, and crowdfunded space sims in particular. Lowered expectations. I still think a lot of good space sims are going to come out, but the development process of those games will be played much closer to the vest, which leaves us a lot less to talk about. But some of those games are barely hanging on, some of them are in sort of a hibernation state, and some of them are going to fail. Again, I think I speak for everyone here when I say that we didn't sign up to document the rise and fall of the Space Sim Renaissance. But, as always, we here at The Guard are all about solutions. So, here's ours. We're going back to Plan A. We're going to move the show more in-universe in the Space Sim that, in our humble opinion, has traction, momentum, and an actual stable client. Guard Frequency 3.0 will be moving to the bubble, to Elite Dangerous. We're not giving up on our roots entirely. We're going to keep a weather eye on space sim news out here in the real world. Our plan is to start out the new show with a streamlined flight deck segment to cover any big stories, but we're not going to spend a lot of time trying to create news out of a ship Q&A or a new gun. Instead, you can look forward to a little more creative content. Look for the return of Nuggets for Nuggets, as we originally intended it to be. Piloting tricks and tips will bring you up to speed on events in the fictional universe, both dev and player-generated. And because the number one complaint about Elite is its lack of narrative, well, damn it, we're going to build one. With the recent release of the Elite Dangerous role-playing game and our four-year-deep catalog of weird and interesting characters, we've decided to document the origin story of the Guard Frequency response. And we're going to do that through a series of adventures in the Elite universe. Consider it a retcon prequel reboot flashback montage. As we wind back the clock to the year 3301 and work our way up to the present-day Elite events in 3303. But wait, there's more! As an extra added bonus, we're going to bring you an entirely new show in addition to the refactored Guard Frequency 3.0. From the creative minds that brought you Priority One and Guard Frequency comes a brand new knowledge and entertainment auditory experience, Heroes Rise. Join former Guard Frequency host Lennon Rich and friends for a weekly podcast focusing on the mechanics and infrastructure of Dungeons & Dragons. You'll get updated on the latest offerings from the Wizards of the Coast, as well as get historical perspectives on rule changes, suggestions for how to run your table, product reviews, and whatever the hell else Lennon decides to talk about, or at least not fix and post. You hear from some familiar voices, as well as new contributors, sweet bumpers, killer foley work, and sexy theme music. Everything you've come to expect from a Priority One Productions... Yeah, production. So here's the plan. We're going to wrap up Guard Frequency 2.0 at the end of October, kind of do our wrap-up show next week, and then we'll take most of November off. I plan on jumping on our Twitch stream to fly around and carry things and shoot stuff at our usual recording time each week, except maybe the day after Thanksgiving. Then around the first week of December, we'll begin regularly releasing our Guard Frequency 3.0. That's also when we expect to debut our Heroes Rise show, too. It's like Christmas 2017 is coming early, and also Christmas 2018. Or maybe one of the shows is a, is a Hanukkah thing. I, I don't know. Kwanzaa. Anyway, my point is extra presents. To our Patreon subscribers, I say to you once again what I said to you two years ago. Thank you. A mission like this, well, we're only taking volunteers. 
There won't be any charges during November, so you have time to cancel your donation if this new format doesn't sound like your cup of tea. We hope you stick around, and we think we're going to have even more fun than we've already had. We'd be grateful if you hung around for a while to try it out. And that brings us to our guard frequency community question. Actually, I'll let 2015 Tony ask it. Tony? All right, that brings us to this week's community question. Lay it on us. Don't hold back. Are we betraying a sacred trust? Is a format change long overdue? Want to make sure the door hits us on the way out? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post in our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to getting the game going. We're still going to do our news segments and all that in the beginning. That's going to be fun. Yep. It'll be shorter just to take the pressure off the audio editors, but... So to be clear to all of our audience one wondering, will we still cover Star Citizen news, Tony? Very briefly, and if it is newsy, because the plan for Flight Deck is it's going to be short headlines, because we want to shorten the show up front so that we have room for the adventure stuff at the end. That's the calculus here. I'll mention this just as another point of clarification I've been doing a lot of the copy editing obviously there's a lot of other people on the staff that contribute but I've been sort of most of the the collation so Tony is partially right there have been times when it's been like writing a high school essay trying to turn bits of news into segments long enough to fill a complete show because there's just a complete dearth of news coming out of all of our major areas it's it's been it's been tougher to generate or uh, it's been tougher to glean what's uh, something out of what's been generated uh, sometimes week to week so you know and we talk a lot so hey usually we manage to come up with something but i think this is going to be more fun and it's going to allow us to be a little more creative and that's something that i think i wish we could have done more over time but because we don't have a universe to play in over on the star citizen side yet it seems to make a little more sense to go over to the elite side to do that. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Around the Purse featured one of an overview of the reworked in-game armor sets. If you're interested about how the devs are bringing the armor up to current item standard and or want a very in-depth look at character modeling, go check it out. The Viper Mark III gets a brand new Raider suit paint pack and combo kit. Dress your favorite ship as a Reaver for Halloween for only 12 American or 8 pounds in the metric system. CIG has released their schedule for the CitizenCon presentation, which begins at 3 p.m. Central European Summertime. That translates to 9 a.m. for the U.S. Eastern Seaboard and a bright and early 6 a.m. for those of you on the West Coast. Presentations and panels, including the unveiling of the new Pioneer ship, continue for six hours and there will be continuous Twitch broadcasting throughout the event. Everspace is on sale for only $20 in the Steam store and Tony's 15-year-old son has declared it is fun and, quote, better than FTL, unquote. Who are we to argue with an opinionated teenager? Ahead of CitizenCon and the actual unveiling, SIG has announced the pricing of the Pioneer. If you plan on picking up this new base builder, make sure you have at least $850 ready to go. Now that we're all cut up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? Some say he recreated Frankenstein's monster, and that he may have completely misunderstood when he entered that bodybuilding competition. But all he knows is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. And a recap of last week's community questions. Our ED community question was, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what's your favorite thing about all the things that are going to happen? Give us your best guess about the killer app Frontier will ship for Elite in 2018. First Star Citizen, what do you think comes after the 23 blockers are gone? Are you looking forward to your cockpit's new polish? Until it starts exploding. Johnny Blondini wrote in and said, The only thing holding me back from ED is the lack of the social factor. I'm an avid EVE player and I love the core and alliances. It really makes the game. If ED follows this path, then I might give it another go. 
Keep up the great work. Love the show as always, lads. Eleanor Rebel writes, Good show. Unlikely to listen live as you record at 4 a.m. here. Shall I start holding my breath over Squadron 42, or do you think it will be another hollow announcement of an announcement to follow sometime mid-18? And Rent-A-Spoon writes in and says, So, does that mean elite squadrons will increase the amount of friends I can fly with? My org has pretty much got bored of Star Citizens 2.6.3, so we've moved on to other games, and if Elite could guarantee 16-ish people in the same place, I might convince people to play. And f*** Squadron 42, where the f*** is 3.0? Just send it out already. I'm sick and tired of getting polished builds, when one of the reasons I backed was to have access to the builds. ASAP, just give me the Delta Patcher and let me bug smash. ATP is boring as burndown takes up so much time. The other subjects just go on for too long and now sometimes repeating themselves and as much as I love Chris and Sandy, they aren't great hosts. Either the scripting is bad or ironically they lack chemistry. What's your opinions on CIG taking down videos as well? I'm sure Tony has an answer, but I think it technically breaks YouTube's DCMA takedown notice and feels a tad over the top for CIG. I'm sure it's probably written in the Ibukati agreement that they own all the content, but nothing terrible has really come out of the leaks and feels like another shot in the foot for, quote, open development. Presumed Ibukati footage the test had promised not to post in the first place. Shit. <clears throat> Don't know what periods are, but hope there's enough full stops for you lot this time. <laughs> Tony, did you want to comment on that? Uh, yeah, basically there's uh, uh, Shiv's last point here uh, that he kind of put in parentheses is the DMCA is already broken as a scratched record under the hooves of a stampede of wildebeests. Um, kinda, yeah. It's clunky and it's um, uh, it's it's clunky and it's sort of it's one of the, it's, a, it's a cudgel where you need a scalpel sometimes. And what the what we're dealing with here as far as CIG is that there's a separate NDA that is different from the standard TOS and the TOS that we are all operating under, we all that, anybody that's playing 2.6.3, is they don't care. Those things have been released to more or less general public, and everyone's got their, their grubby mitts on it, so post away. The stuff that's not released to the general public probably is still, uh, for the purposes of the DMCA, still considered the intellectual property of CIG, all marks, all assets, all visuals, all videos, everything they still consider their internal corporate property. So I'm, they're, they're well within their rights to do it, and you really probably can't challenge it. Is it a, another own goal? Probably, arguably. But if they really, if this is still focused testing and they're using the Evocati as sort of an unpaid QA arm, then it's a judgment call, and they've decided that they're not going to let it out. And and, and, I, and again, I think that there are a certain set of arguments where some person could feel justified, you know, breaking the NDA. But it's it, it's kind of a moot point. Once CIG sends that notice in, the way the system is currently designed, as Shiv said, it's kind of broken. Once the notice goes out, bah, it's gone. So it's just done. So that's how it works. Sean Newboy writes in and says, loved the show. Hopefully on the larger ships, damage to a faraway bit won't show up in the cockpit sick they were talking about the cockpits last week and how they'd be uh exploding and damaging and taking damage when you're taking damage in your ship so that's what he means i think yeah he, he's hoping that on something like the idris yeah. if you take a hit in the rear engines it doesn't cause you know the the pilot station on the bridge to explode but that yeah, would I hope be that's realistic it. in star trek fiction yeah that's exactly that's, how it works yes but this is star citizen not star trek so there are circuit breakers <laughs> no, there's pipes everywhere, man. There's pipes. The data pipe goes to the cooling pipe, goes to the electrical pipe. I mean, there's pipes everywhere, man. If anyone starts singing, I am going to cut them off. <laughs> Preacher sent in comments that had to be edited a bit for clarity. Apologies if we misinterpreted something. He says, for the most part, this is what I think will happen after the 28 blockers are removed. Chris Roberts will announce the engine isn't up to quality, so they're going to build another one and then have a massive ship sale with LTI on everything at bargain basement prices so he can keep making movies for his wife. 
I will be flabbergasted if there's any release date in the next four years. I'm sick of waiting, and I'm sorry I'm salty tonight, but I'm no smartest. CR just doesn't know when he wants to release it, and I believe the game will always be in development. Great podcast, though. Well, he ends on a upbeat note. (laughs) (laughs) The world is burning. We're all on fire. We're all screwed. Have a nice day. (laughs) But the marshmallow roast is great. Hey, Hey, preacher, baby. Stick with us. We got you. It's okay, man. It's all right. Just stick with us. And in general feedback, RSI asks Twitter, if you could add anything to customize your cockpit, what would it be? And Rambus replied, I would like to tune into at Guard Freak and set up an emulator, connect to one of the MFD, and play on the long, slow hauls. That's a fine idea. You nice idea. Silent Hunter writes in and says, if you can't destroy an asteroid, you can't stop the rock. <laughs> metal. That is so metal. So, our new Patreon, we have a Patreon, a new one. Prez, Pretz, Pretz, Pretz. He's a Pretz. And a random winner, uh, win- random winner of the week is Blake Parkhill. Hey, good job. And this week's community questions Star Citizen, is the new information about the ships helpful and informative? Or is it all coming much too late to matter to you? Elite Dangerous community question. Still enjoying that gadget of the week? Have enough room in your storage for all the new toys? Tell us what you think. And finally, the big one, the guard frequency community question. Lay it on us, don't hold back. Are we betraying a sacred trust? Is a format change long overdue? Want to make sure the door hits us on the way out? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook page. So, how was the show? Pages worth of useful information, or were we just a microsecond blip of insignificance? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 190 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 191 on October 31st, so be sure to keep an ear out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should come and join us at 10 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency live over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com and you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 a week, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, some guard frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private elite dangerous flight group. We want to thank all of our Patreons deeply who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because, frankly, the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. You can find us all over at discord.guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at priorityonepodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to... Our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster. Our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards. Our staff writer, Jace Pentad. And of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass. And special thanks to Ronald Jinkies for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJinkies.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely.
This is Ostron Flight Di- uh, Yeah, we're doing the intro. Wow, I take one week off, it all goes to hell. This is Ostron Intro Sync 1. This is Jeff Intro Sync 2. This is Ken Shadow Intro Shaking My Head Sync 3. This is episode 189 of the best damn space sim. Actually, isn't it 190? Yeah, sorry, I had to sub in for Lennon tonight. This is so going to be the best I show missed ever. a few things. Best show ever. And in this case, the housekeepers would probably get fired. All right. Stop the recordings. Apologies if we... Yeah. Yeah. Apologies because I can't talk. Is, is there a cat mewing? I hear a can you, cat. Can you, can you hear that? It's not showing up on my audio. Yeah, that's but that's my cat. I threw it out earlier. I threw it out here. I'll, I'll let it in and see if it shuts up. It, it's it's really low. I'm just making sure. Hey, also, hey, we can we can make the cat Henry, the new host new host of the new format. As long as he sits in your chair. And an invitation to our pride alleviate. Uh, <laughs> or I could just stop the conversation flat with my optimism about the future. <laughs>